Welcome to The Extra Dimension. This episode is on the topic of net neutrality. I am your host, Ian R. Buck. Now, there's a lot to unpack with this subject, uh, so we're dividing up this episode into several different sections. First, I will go over the basic definition of net neutrality. Uh, I'll talk about why it's important. Um, I will go over some arguments for and against net neutrality. Um, We'll talk about the history of laws relating to net neutrality, um, and then we'll get into the current events. Um, since as of the recording date, uh, July 15, 2017, um, this is a, a timely important uh, subject right, right now. So if you came here to this episode for just one of those things specifically, you know, if you just want to know like the definition or you just want to know uh, what is currently happening, take a look in the show notes for this episode because we have um, timestamps in there. Uh, for each of the different sections so that you can skip ahead to whichever whichever section you want. Um, the show notes are available at thenexus.tv slash TED22. So first, basic definition, net neutrality. Um, usually when I am thinking about some phrase that I've never heard before, I like to break it down word by word to try and figure out what, what it all means. Um, obviously, the net, net neutrality refers to the internet, um, and then neutrality means that everything, all the information that is being transmitted over the internet has to be treated equally. Um, So the full definition of net neutrality is it's the principle that internet service providers should enable access to all content and applications, regardless of the source, without favoring or blocking particular products or websites. Um, So basically, yeah, all of the information has to be transmitted with like the same level of priority, no matter who it's coming from, who's going to, what kind of content it is, um, etc., So why is this important? Net neutrality is important because internet service providers, the companies that connect end users um, and and content providers to the rest of the internet, um, they can have a lot of influence on what happens um, in our communications because they they own the physical infrastructure that we're using to communicate. Um, so. It's, it's important to make sure that those companies are playing fairly. Um, so let's take a look at some of the examples of things that can happen when net neutrality is not followed. Um, by the way, by the way, freepress.net has uh, a great list of, of net neutrality violations that have happened in the past. Um, link to that in the show notes so you can check that out if you want to. I'll give a few examples here. Um, so one thing that can happen is bandwidth throttling, um, which is where a an internet service provider intentionally slows down the 
speed that uh, a particular entity is is getting um, based on some arbitrary decision, you know, not based on actual like um, network constraints or, you know, like current traffic or anything like that. Um, so one example of this is that back uh, around 2010 to like 2014 era, um, Comcast noticed that um, Netflix was was accounting for a very large portion of their traffic. Um, and and they were having like a hard time keeping up with that with the demand for all of Comcast's um, customers who were all watching uh, Netflix shows and stuff. And so Comcast decided that they that they needed to upgrade their um, their network to to account for all of this you know traffic. Um, but instead of like using the money that they were already getting from their customers or like making you know like. Uh, increasing the prices of of their um, services to their customers, Comcast decided that Netflix should be the one to pay for uh, you know this extra extra infrastructure um, that would be like specifically for Netflix, um, and and Netflix refused to to pay for this you know extra like fast lane is the phrase that you'll hear uh, around that, and uh, and so what Comcast started doing is they started intentionally throttling traffic from Netflix. Um, and so you may remember, like, if you were a, a Netflix subscriber back then, um, you may have seen, like, messages that said, um, hey, is your connection slow? Like, click here to find out why. And then they would have, like, a little page explaining that Comcast was intentionally slowing down stuff for Netflix. Um, now, Netflix eventually capitulated to this and, and did pay Comcast extra um, to have this like fast lane, um, and the problem, the problem with bandwidth throttling, um, you know, and like paying for uh, exclusive fast lanes and stuff like that, is that obviously Netflix was big enough to be able to pay for that. Um, but let's say that like I had an idea for a really good um, movie streaming service that is going to like blow everybody else out of the water because I have some cool feature that nobody else does. Um, but I don't have enough money when I start out to pay like a bunch of internet service providers for this extra, um, fast lane, but established entities like Netflix or YouTube or whatever, they already do have enough money to pay for that kind of thing. So I would have a hard time like competing with them because uh my because my service would be slower than theirs and so um so all of my customers would have like low they would see lower quality video um and so then you know obviously nobody wants to watch like crappy video online so it's less likely that my service would get uh more customers um and so in that way this like bandwidth throttling contributes to internet providers kind of making these arbitrary decisions for consumers on on which services um, they should be using. Um, data discrimination is another type of of violation of net neutrality, um, and this is where um, instead of just like slowing things down for a particular user. Um, what internet providers sometimes do is they will like entirely block in, like features or or entire apps um, based on uh, a lot of times this is like 
they'll do this if they have some competing product. Um, so AT&T got caught for um, blocking cons- customers who are using FaceTime unless they upgraded their plans to shared data plans. Um, and we've seen this several times with like various different voice over IP type products where um, the, the phone provider, uh, which also obviously delivers data to a smartphone, um, will block those like voice over IP services um, to encourage people to actually use like the minutes on their own on their own cell phone plan, which is ridiculous because like if I'm paying for an unlimited data plan, of course I'm going to use that unlimited data for making calls. Um, I actually this is when I was back on on T-Mobile. Um, I did this a lot because uh, I I went with a plan that had unlimited data, but it had only like a hundred minutes of of talk time. Um, and so so I would use Google Voice to make all of my calls. But if T-Mobile, uh, you know, was able to figure out that I was not using my minutes and instead um, using using Google Voice, they probably would have uh, enjoyed blocking that because that would encourage me to go and like upgrade to a different plan that costs more. But then you know I get like unlimited um, calling time through through their own uh, their own phone system. Um, now some forms of data discrimination are kind of like legally required. So in Britain, for example, um, internet service providers are required to block sexually explicit ch- images of children, um, which makes perfect sense because like that type of content is just straight up illegal. Um, also, like uh, American libraries will do the same kind of thing. They, they only receive funding from like the federal government if they um, block a certain list of, of types of things um, you know, on the, on the like publicly available computers that they have at the libraries. Um, and that kind of thing that, that totally makes sense. Um, because then it's like, it's the library that's making the decision of the stuff to block, um, instead of like the internet provider that they are, um, that they're paying. Um, but when it comes to like individual consumers in their own homes, um, most, most types of data discrimination, uh, are not, not wanted. Um, finally, selective metering. Um, this mostly applies to like phone services um, because if you think about the the wired connection, internet connection that you have in your house, uh, usually that is not limited by a certain like data cap per month. Um, but a lot of, of cell phone plans are sold um, with some, you know, like maybe five gigabytes or 10 gigabytes or whatever that you have for the whole month. Um, and if you go over that, then you're either like charged more or you get like throttled down to a really, really slow speed or something like that. And so what selective metering is, is where um, the phone providers will offer you to like a certain service that doesn't count against your um, your data usage, um, but like other services in the same category might still count against your your data usage. Um, so, for example, AT and T again, um, they did not count uh, streaming from Directv, which they were affiliated with, um, against their data caps. But if you were streaming from you know some other like television provider, or if you're just like watching YouTube videos or whatever, obviously those still. Um, count against your data caps. 
Um, and it's pretty clear that like that is anti-competitive because they're they're favoring a company that they uh, have a partnership with um, over other companies that they do not. Um, there are some other examples that are a little bit less clear on whether they're like anti-competitive. Um, for example, T-Mobile um, offers a feature called Binge On where like um, certain music and video streaming um, apps don't count against your data caps. Um, and we'll, let, let's take a look at the, uh, the music streaming one in particular, like, um, they have a list of, of, you know, maybe five to 10, um, music streaming apps like Google play music, Apple music, um, Spotify, Pandora, etc. Um, and those all, those don't count against your, your data cap on your T-Mobile plan. But, um, let's say that I like want to use some really obscure thing, um, uh, to, to stream my music to my phone, um, that is still going to count against my data cap. And so even though it seems like, you know, customers are getting a really good deal because they can, they can listen to a bunch of music without, um, using up their data. It's not good for, uh, you know, the companies that are trying to start up new music streaming apps that aren't going to have that partnership with T-Mobile um, because they just don't have enough attention yet. Um, and so it's a lot harder to kind of break into that that space, into that world, um, if if these internet service providers are making all these decisions. All right, now let's hear a few of the arguments uh, against net neutrality. Um, so... Obviously, some internet uses are more network sensitive than others. Um, so maybe like um, gaming or video calling, right? Because those uh, those require low latency, um, and in the case of video calling, a little bit higher bandwidth. So it might be better overall if those types of services were given higher priority than other stuff like just regular internet browsing, right? Um, but if you think about it, that's that's the, a decision that the end user should be making for their own network. You know, like maybe um, maybe I would set my router to give priority to a certain device while it is trying to live stream on my network or something like that. Um, but that's not something that like the internet service provider should be the sole arbiter of, um, because then they might make decisions that. Um, that the end users don't want. Um, a second argument against net neutrality is that networks are expensive to create, and so creating too many like regulations uh, could discourage investment in network infrastructure. Um, and as we've seen in the past, um, when uh, we'll, we'll be talking about the history of this uh, in just a minute, um, but uh, we've seen that that when ISPs are regulated as a like a telecommunications network, um, the those internet service providers um, did not lower the amount of uh, investment that they've made in their own networks, um, and that's that's something that these companies have actually told their shareholders directly. So we know that um, I mean they they are legally required to tell their shareholders the truth, right? Um, and then there's finally uh, the argument that like regulations that are created today might not be relevant um, in the future. Um, and that is very true. We, we definitely uh, have seen laws that stick around for way, way longer than they than they probably should. Um, 
But uh, all that means is that, you know, we just need to make sure that we're continually updating regulations to fit the current, um, the current landscape. Um, and one final uh, argument against, against uh, making specific rules around net neutrality is that if we just have a, a marketplace that has like a good level of um, competition, then these kinds of practices won't, won't really be an issue because like if people uh, realize that say AT&T is like um, doing all this, this stuff, this, this anti-net neutrality uh, practices that is not good for the consumer, then people will just switch from AT&T to some others, to some other uh, provider. Um, and the problem with that argument is that the broadband internet marketplace is not a normal competitive marketplace. Um, 51%, uh, I'm just going to be talking about numbers for America here because that's uh, where I am and where I am most familiar with. Um, so 51% of Americans have only one choice of broadband internet provider. Um, and another 38% have only two choices. Um, I live in St. Paul, Minnesota, which is uh, part of, you know, the Twin Cities, a fairly large metropolitan area. Um, and I only really have two choices of um, broadband internet providers. So it's like, what am I supposed to do? Do I like pick the lesser of two evils? Um, and I like, and that's way more choice than, than, most Americans have because as as I said, fifty-one percent, fifty-one percent of people don't have any choice whatsoever. Um if if we talk about like cell phone plans that have data associated with them, um yeah, if you live in like a, a major metropolitan area, you probably have maybe like four choices or so um of of a network to go with. Um because there's, yeah, that's four major ones. But like, if you start getting out into rural areas, you're going to start having only really like one choice, um, because Verizon like built out their their network way way faster into uh, rural areas than than most of the other um, uh, phone cell phone providers. And so like many many Americans only have one choice of a reasonable like cell phone plan to choose from. Um, so because of that, because there there isn't this competitive pressure between all of these different um, internet service providers, they can do a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of uh, you know like a lot of anti-net neutrality stuff, but also just like you know having terrible customer service that um, people have to deal with and there's not much that the consumers can do about it because they like it, it costs a lot to switch from one provider to another you know you have to like cancel your contract and you have to get all new hardware and you have to get a technician to come out to your house etc 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 but also like you just don't have the the same level of choice as you do in other sectors you know like if I if I want to switch uh, from from one uh, software platform, from one operating system to another, I have several choices there. Um, you know, if I want to uh, get a new cell phone, like there's there's countless, countless different uh, options out there. Um, but when it comes to the internet service, we don't have much of a choice. Um, other marketplaces uh, have a heck of a lot more competition. Like um, I have read that uh, in the UK, they they still have um, kind of a system set up where the 
the physical infrastructure that that goes out to the individual houses um, is not built by the internet service providers themselves, but like kind of, um, I don't think it's, it's, it's exactly like a government run operation, but it's like, you know, kind of like the telephone company sort of thing that builds out all of these lines to the houses. And then these internet providers, um, you know, just provide their services over those existing lines. Um, and so there are, you know, a good like 20 options or something in any given area um, that, uh, that, that consumers can choose from. All right, so what kinds of laws have existed around net neutrality in the past? Um, so we're going to go all the way back to the late 90s, um, which is, you know, prehistoric almost in terms of uh, the Internet. Um, so in the, in the 90s and early aughts, there was, uh, there was lots of competition in the American uh, ISP space because um, they had line sharing mandates. Um, so this this uh, grew out of the fact that that almost all internet at the time was on dial-up. Um, and so of course we already had this like extensive landline telephone system built out to most of the uh, houses in, in the US. Um, and so what they what they did was they the federal government mandated that the telephone companies had to allow internet providers to use their phone lines um, to to provide um, internet service to these houses um, and so yeah just like the UK marketplace right now there was lots and lots of competition um, amongst uh, ISPs and uh, I think back when I was a kid uh, I remember my parents had like some some internet provider uh, that I have never heard of, like outside of of my parents talking about it, um, and they're actually still on that plan. But I I don't know if you can still buy stuff from that company anymore. I think my parents just happened to be grandfathered in because they've had the same plan for so long. Um, but then uh, in 2005, during the Bush administration, they got rid of these line sharing. Uh, mandates. Um, and I think part of the reason they did that was because internet service was shifting from being primarily dial-up to, um, well, DSL still goes over the phone lines, but then, you know, we were having like cable and fiber um, becoming more and more widespread. And those, they decided um, that they they shouldn't force uh, line, line sharing agreements on on those uh, types of connections. And so then they, then they got rid of line sharing uh, on the phone lines as well. So from 2005 uh, onward, the FCC had a really hard time regulating internet providers um, when it came to net neutrality type things um, because they like they would they would see something happening, um, you know, some specific violation that seemed like anti-competitive, and they would try to. Um, set up some rules around it. They would they would bring you know that company to court. Um, but then um, every single time those rules were struck down um, because the internet providers were classified as information services instead of as telecommunication services. Um, and telecommunication services, of course, is the classification um, that. Uh, that that applies to like phone lines, which are treated as a utility. 
Um, whereas information services are things that bundle in other stuff like, you know, your, um, an email address or like some cloud storage or maybe like a server or something. So, um, because many, many, uh, internet providers at the time, like that, that was one of their main selling points was like buy internet through us and you get a, an email address, um, on our servers, like, uh, that was the reasoning behind classifying internet providers as information services instead of telecommunication services. Um, and because information services aren't just a utility, um, the courts decided that the FCC did not have much power to regulate information services. Um, but then, then in uh, early 2015, Congress voted to give the FCC permission to like change the classification um, that they that they put internet providers under. Um, and so then, in February of 2015, the board members of the FCC um, voted to classify internet providers as telecommunication services. Um, so so at that time, they had the ability to actually create comprehensive rules around net neutrality um and and so that's what they did it's been it's been you know just over two years since then um and uh and so things things have been going well in terms of the the net neutrality uh landscape there was um in in 2014 you know when we were heading up to that uh vote there was lots and lots of like um online, you know, protests, uh, petitions being signed, websites, you know, putting out um, specific messages, uh, encouraging people to, you know, talk to the FCC about this. Um, and, uh, and, and it made a, it really did make a big difference because the chairman of the FCC at the time, Tom Wheeler, um, initially he did not seem very enthusiastic about the whole net neutrality thing. But, uh, but once he saw uh, you know, how many people were affected by this, how many people, um, you know, believed that this was an important issue. Um, he kind of uh, changed his stance a little and, uh, and, and you know, he, he kind of became the spearhead for this whole, like, uh, classifying um, the internet, internet providers as telecommunication services. Um, by the way, uh, if you if you hear like the the phrase title two classification that is that is what it's referring to title two is classified as telecommunication services uh, title one refers to um, information services so that's the that's the difference there if you hear if you see articles that are talking about like the title two classification and this brings us to today to the current events um, so obviously 2015 when they had the FCC had their last big vote on this um, that was during the Obama administration um, the November 2016 election changed a few things um, so going up to the election during during the campaigns uh, Trump had not talked much about net neutrality um, the the like one tweet that he had on the subject didn't make it seem like he really knew what it was. But then, then the person who he appointed as the uh, chairman of the SEC, um, once he came into office, um, Ajit Pai, he was one of the uh, board members of the FCC back in 2015 who voted against um, classifying internet providers as telecommunications. And so um, Pai has taken his, his new role as, as chairman um, 
as kind of the the go ahead to just dismantle all of the rules that were put in place uh, in 2015. So um, he's been making that his mission uh, over the last few months. And on May 18th, the FCC um, announced a plan called Restoring Internet Freedom, um, which repeals all of the net neutrality rules that were enacted in 2015 um, and would place regulation of internet service providers under the FTC. So it would be going from the Federal Communications Commission to the Federal Trade Commission. Um, and in exchange for getting rid of all of these these regulations, um, this plan asks ISPs to voluntarily promise not to slow users' speeds or restrict their access to data. Uh, let me replace, repeat that. It asks ISPs to voluntarily promise. That's not going to work uh, because there wouldn't be anything that the FCC could do afterwards if the internet service providers don't keep their word. And because there's not enough competition in this marketplace, they have no reason to keep their word. Um, the Especially since um, the FTC is not equipped to deal with this kind of thing. Um, so I... I I'll give you a quote here from an article from Vox.com, um, which is also linked in the uh, in the show notes. Um, all right, here we go. Quote, And there's a huge problem with Pi's plan to make ISP regulation the FTC's responsibility, which is simply that the FTC is an enforcement agency, not a regulatory one. That is, the FTC has no ability to create or enforce new regulations against potential abuses of net neutrality, because while the Federal Communications Commission can enact regulations for how ISPs must behave, the Federal Trade Commission is really only legally able to enforce existing rules against ISPs after the FCC has established them. So since the FCC would be throwing out its own regulations, the only regulatory action the FTC would be able to take would be to issue punishments after the fact if an ISP failed to actually adhere to any promise to obey net neutrality that it had voluntarily written into its own terms of service. Um, and of course, since ISPs can change their terms of service like whenever they want to, um, they, yeah, there's there's like nothing legally binding here. There's there's uh, the the FTC would have almost no power. Um, to do anything. So there has been a huge backlash to this plan that was announced in May. Um, because of the way that the SCC works, um, whenever they have some, you know, whenever they announce some plan like this, um, they have to have a 60-day commenting period where anybody can go and submit, you know, a publicly available comment. Um and that period is almost over as of the time of this recording. Um, it ends on July 17th. So if you are listening to this within the next couple of days after this is published, um, I definitely encourage you to go and submit a comment um, in support of net neutrality. Um, I have a really, really great article here um, that was written by somebody who worked at the uh, FCC back during... Um, the Obama administration um, detailing like what kinds of stuff they look for 
um, in these in these public comments so that you can like write the the mo the highest quality comment that you can um, that will give the FCC you know more information. So they they say stuff like um, write about yourself and how the net neutrality rules have affected you. Write about what you understand you are buying when you purchase broadband internet access, which is uh, of course important in on the point of like, um, are you are you buying it because uh, it you get an email address with it, or are you just buying it to be like a, a, a simple pipe to from your house to the internet at large? Um, write about the choices that you have or don't have for broadband internet access. Um, write about what role you think the FCC should have in overseeing the market for broadband internet access. Um, and there's a, there's a lot more detail in this article. Um, I encourage everybody to go and read it um, before before uh, submitting a comment. Um, luckily, since I didn't read this uh, article until after I had already made a comment, luckily you can submit multiple comments to um, to the uh, the FCC procedures. Um, so even if you've already submitted one, like go ahead and read this this article and uh, and see if you if there's anything that you would like to add to another comment. Towards the end of the um, public comment period, um, a whole bunch of companies um, on the internet um, and individuals uh, participated in a day of action that was on July 12th. So you may remember seeing like. Um, hashtags on Twitter, or if you visited like Netflix on that day, you may have seen a banner ad or, you know, something like that. Reddit had a whole um, uh, message that that popped up over the, the homepage before you can even, you know, access anything. Um, all of which were, you know, kind of emphasizing that um, net neutrality is super duper important for the way that, uh, that the internet operates, um, for competition on the net, and so lots and lots of people uh, went and submitted comments on that day. Now, after this public comment period is over, um, the FCC has 30 days to uh, write up their own response to all of the public comments. So on August 16th, we will find out what their response is. Um, and uh, I will be updating this episode accordingly um, with any any news going forward, any new legislation that comes to be. Um, so if you want to to know the, the latest and greatest, um, check back here. Um, if, if there are updates, I will put them, I'll, I'll put a note in the show notes as well as um, adding stuff to the end of this uh, mp3 file. Um, if you're listening on, uh, on YouTube, um, just look in the, in the, uh, description to see if there are any updates and I'll also, um, create new videos, um, with the, with the updates as well. Um, and, uh, kind of link to those from, from the main episode, but yeah, that's, uh, that's net neutrality. Um, it is, it is vital for net neutrality to be followed, um, for, in order for the internet to be remain an open, uh, an open space, um, and, uh, and it's, and it's, it's very important for the internet to remain an open space because, um, access to the internet is a, is a basic human right. Internet service providers, um, when, when they can, uh, direct people to whatever services they want to, um, that is, you know, that, that's a form of control that, uh, that they shouldn't have. 
Um, so, so yes, please do your part. Um, make sure that uh, that you submit some comments to the FCC. Um, make sure that you pay attention to what your um, representatives are saying on the subject. Um, I'm very lucky to have um, Al Franken as one of my senators. He's he's been one of the biggest supporters vocally of uh, of um, net neutrality. Um, and it is possible that uh, even though the FCC is currently the um, organization that determines net neutrality rules in the United States, um, it is possible for Congress to write and pass legislation uh, on the subject as well. So our actual elected representatives might have something to do with, uh, with legislation in the future. Thank you for listening, everybody. This has been an episode of The Extra Dimension from the nexus the theme song for this episode is seven by matt 51 from his new album seven check out the show notes for a link to that if you have any feedback on uh, on the episode please email us at the nexus tv at gmail.com or uh, find us on twitter at the nexus tv um, if you have ideas for t- uh, topics that we can tackle in the future, um, please let us know as well, since this is our variety show. Um, I have been Ian Arbuck. You can find me on Twitter as Ian Arbuck. Have a good one.